Okay, we're going to finish up Revelation 12 this morning. So if you like to keep in shape by using your Bible, not a bad idea, turn to Revelation 12, otherwise it'll be up on the screen. I'm going to read verses 11 through 17 and take it from there. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, as we delve into this last section of chapter 12, there's a lot of symbolism and imagery here. We ask you to help us cut through all that and get a good understanding of what uh, the revelator is talking about here, that we can be prepared, Lord, for what lies ahead, as you have definitely given us this book of Revelation as a, as a roadmap and a blueprint for living in the last days. We ask you to bless this time of study in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. They overcame him. Now, who is this? These are the tribulation martyrs in heaven celebrating the downfall of Satan. We talked about this, I believe, last week. Halfway through the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation. Up until that point, although Satan is no longer a citizen of God's heavenly kingdom. He was cast out along with a third of the angels way back at the beginning of time. He still had access. We looked in Job last week where when uh, the sons of God presented themselves before God, Satan came along with them and was talking with God and God pointed out his wonderful servant Job. Satan is referred to in the scriptures as the accuser of the brethren. He brings accusation against us before God, but there's Jesus at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. He is our defense attorney, if you will, our advocate. But now they're celebrating because there was this war in heaven. We looked at it last week between Michael and his angels and Satan and his angels. And no surprise, Michael and his angels win the battle. And so for the second half of the tribulation, Satan and his demonic entities, fallen angels, are confined only to earth. Hence, the last portion is called the Great Tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble. The intensive, horrendous activities on planet earth will be unparalleled from any other time in human history. So they overcame him. They, our brethren, as they're referred to in verse 10. Just as Jesus overcame him in the wilderness. Remember when Jesus was uh, drawn by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness there by the Jordan River, fasting 40 days, 40 nights, tempted by Satan. And Jesus overcame him 
at the very beginning, before he started his public ministry, he went through that 40 days of fasting, praying, temptation. And I would say that it may not be a stretch for me to say that our number one goal in life should be to earn the title overcomer. 1 John 5, 5, Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Again, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Paul writes, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realms. The battle is a battle in the mind, a battle for our hearts and minds. Satan is the mastermind behind this world system. Our number one goal in this life should be to overcome, to not be taken down. Either we overcome the world or the world will overcome us. Revelation 3.21, to him who overcomes. In fact, all the promises that Jesus makes in Revelation 2 and 3 to the faithful remnant within the seven churches of Asia Minor. Every one of the promises is attached to him or her. We know the Bible uses the, the, the male gender, but it applies to all of humanity. There was a time when that was not hard to understand. There was a time when it wasn't necessary to say what I just had to say. But everything is a gender issue now, right? Mankind, humanity, they all have the word man in them. (laughs) Sorry, ladies. Humanity, mankind, but you're included. We're all included. It's an all-inclusive term. Who is he who overcomes the world? And by the way, ladies, something that's really been lost through all this gender weirdness and feminism and everything, the whole idea behind this generic term for humanity, mankind, and the Bible, him, he, and so forth, is that it keeps you ladies protected and under the radar. That was the whole idea. Not to make you second-class citizens, not to make you inferior, but the responsibility and role of men is to protect their women. Not stay at home and bake cookies while she goes and earns the paycheck. If you don't think it's all part of Satan's master plan, then you've been asleep. Because it is. Very conveniently, particularly World War II, even more so than World War I, so many men were sent into combat that all the the businesses and the factories and so forth had to be manned by women, forcing women out of the home and into the workplace. And after World War II ended, they never went back. And so there was a propaganda machine unleashed to make women feel like everything that they were good at, everything that was important, keeping a nice home, preparing great meals, taking care of their children. Why is that bad stuff? I'll tell you what, Historically, women are a lot better at those things than men are. We do the dumb, clunky things. You know, the, the muscle stuff. Except now, there's women with more muscles than men. And then some of them aren't really women anymore. They've decided they're something else. Do you see how insane all this is? Somebody's got to say it. Stupidity is running rampant in our world today.
All that out of the word him. <laughs> to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Okay, I gotta, I gotta stop again. Again, there's nothing wrong with women in the workplace, but again, women can do things men can't, like have babies, right? For heaven's sake, and by the way, the whole thing, downplaying the role of women in our society, in our culture, that it's horrible if you have to stay home. It's horrible if you have to bear children. It's horrible if you have to do these things. Pave the way for the murder of 60 million babies in America alone. If all that stuff is so horrible, what's the easy answer? Kill the unborn babies. And I've been, I've been doing a deep dive lately into some stuff, folks, that will, if your hair is straight, it will curl it. And if it's curly, it will straighten it. We all know the tip of the iceberg with human trafficking, sex trafficking, child trafficking. It goes so deep and so wide. And you're talking about people like Bill Gates and on and on it goes. And Bill Gates, all of his worldwide vaccination programs, all the children that have been paralyzed, killed, so many horrific things, all in the name of public health. Just like I told you with abortion, it's called women's health. That's the biggest pile of garbage that ever came down the pike. No woman ever got healthier from having an abortion, let me tell you that. And the baby sure didn't. When I say Satan's the mastermind behind this world system, he is, and he's operating big time. We need to all get more serious than we've ever been before about following God, about knowing things, being informed, first and foremost, obviously, from the Scriptures, but also about what's happening in the world today. To him who overcomes every promise and to the seven churches of Asia Minor, to the faithful remnant, is predicated on this. To him who overcomes, again, the world, the flesh, the devil, to be overcomers like Christ. I will grant to sit with me on my throne, wow, right there in Jesus' lap. How cool is that? As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We see here three things. First, by the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him. Him who? The enemy, Satan, the devil, the Antichrist, the dragon, the serpent. By the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb cleanses us from all sin, does it not? That's what God's Word says. Not just some sins. And there are some groups, some aberrant Christian groups and religious groups who will teach you, well, the blood of Christ doesn't cover everything. Some stuff you've got to work out on your own. That's not biblical. There is no sin that you can work out on your own or pay the price for. Jesus paid the price for every one of them. The blood of the Lamb cleanses us from all sin and imposes upon us the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God in Christ by the blood of the Lamb, making us untouchable to the devil apart from God's permission. We talked about this last week, yes. God gave the devil permission to strike Job in every way 
except Satan could not take Job's life, but he could take anything else. Remember Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Picture yourself going through a sifter. Pretty painful, huh? Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, and I'm sure Peter's thinking, but of course, Lord, you said no, right? <laughs> Jesus, he, he doesn't say yes or no, and he just says, and afterward, <laughs> you'll strengthen your brothers. Afterward what? After he sifts you like wheat. So the, the uh, inadvertent answer there was, I said yes. Jesus said yes to Satan when Satan asked for Jesus' permission to sift you like wheat. But here's the good news. The devil had to ask his permission. So what the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good. We are, we should remember this. I think we forget this far too often. I truly believe we are untouchable to the devil apart from God's permission. And probably more often than not, it boils down to this. God is trying to work patience into our life, right? He's trying to strengthen our faith. Because if everything went perfect all the time, there would be no test for our faith, would there? The testing of our faith comes in when we face problems. God could very easily cause us to live problem-free lives, but then we would all grow up to be 90-year-old babies, spiritually speaking, in diapers. We would never grow up. God allows these things for our strengthening, for our growth, for our maturity, because he loves us. But they overcame the enemy, the dragon, Satan, the serpent, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So it's important to have at least a basic understanding. What is your testimony? Oftentimes people will say, well, you know, God gave me a really good job or, you know, blessed me with a great wife or husband. And those are good things. But our testimony needs to be rooted and grounded in the central fact and truth that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That's my testimony. He has saved me from my sins. He has forgiven me. He has washed me. He has cleansed me. I've been born again by the Spirit of God, and I've been given the ever-precious gift of eternal life. There's your testimony. Any and every believer should be able to say that. Because we often, sadly, we often look at God's blessings, and we look at our testimony in terms of the things of this world, the things that are temporary. And I give God praise for those two, and I think we should. But those are peripheral issues. Those are secondary. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. You don't even have to worry about them if your focus is on God and his kingdom. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I believe he died on the cross for my sins, and on the third day he rose from the dead. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, made whole and made clean. Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written... There's a testimony for you. They overcame him. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. Yeah, see, when you start talking like that, the devil's not going to stick around too long. He doesn't like to hear that stuff. And thirdly, they did not love their lives to the death. How do you overcome the wicked one? When you have no fear of death. 
Because that's his number one weapon against you to try to scare you to death. <laughs> Make you afraid of death because you don't have an assurance of eternal life in Christ. They did not love their lives to the death. And I'll tell you right now, that's what causes many people who perhaps have made an initial profession of faith in Christ and also for those who never have. They do love their lives to the death. When push comes to shove, if it's a choice between laying your life on the line to follow God and hanging on to what you think your life is, many people walk away from God. Jesus had those confrontations. The rich young ruler, remember? He asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, well, the guy says, I've obeyed all the commandments from my youth. Jesus said, that's really good. Now go sell everything you have. And Jesus, the man walked away. He wasn't willing to do it. Now that's not a universal cardinal rule that everyone who wants to follow Christ has to take a vow of poverty but Jesus knew the man's heart, and he knew when he was challenged with giving up his material possessions, he would not do it. For some people, it's family. I've seen many people walk away from God because of family issues, pressure, persecution, accusing you of being a Jesus freak or a, you know, a radical uh, fanatic, and you feeling shunned at family gatherings or not even being invited. And some people then will choose family over following Christ. Jesus said, once you put your hand to the plow, if you look back, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. If you don't love him more than mother, father, sister, brother, son, daughter, and so forth, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. Why did these tribulation martyrs overcome the enemy? They did not love their lives to the death. If we aspire to the title, the accomplishment, the achievement of overcomer, then we must love God more than our earthly mortal life and be willing to die for him if called upon to do so. And we know that millions of people over the last 2,000 years have died for their faith. All the apostles martyred except for John. He was unboilable. They tried to boil him in oil, he wouldn't boil. Millions have laid down their lives for the cause of Christ. And they're now with God in heaven rejoicing. And that's what we have next. Therefore, verse 12, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. And so, for the angelic hosts in heaven, for the uh, saints that are already there at this time, there's great rejoicing. This is cause for great rejoicing that Satan has been cast down to the earth. But it's not good news for the people on the earth. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and to the sea. For the devil has come down to you. No longer orchestrating things from afar through his subordinates, Satan will be boots on the ground in person directing the rain and terror of the Antichrist, the reign of terror of the Antichrist. Ephesians 6.12, I quoted this earlier, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realms. 
But again, in the middle of the tribulation, they will no longer inhabit the heavenly realms. They will be cast down to the earth. Having great wrath, he knows that he has a short time. Having lost the war in heaven against Michael and his angels, the devil now knows his time is short, and he was really ticked off. It's like a cornered wild beast. When, when is a wild animal the most dangerous? When it's cornered, when it's captured, contained, fighting for its life, so he will be ready to rip everyone and everything to shreds, especially God's chosen people, the ones who gave birth to the Messiah. We saw in the first part of this chapter, the woman who gives birth to the child, the Christ child, the Messiah. Verse 13, now when the dragon, Satan, saw that he'd been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now, I don't know about your Bible, but in my New King James Bible, the word child is capital C. Why? Because that male child is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So knowing that his time is short, he now unleashes all of his fury through the Antichrist on the Jewish people. This is halfway through the tribulation. The first half, they get to have their temple back. They get to have their temple worship and sacrifice. We already saw the abomination of desolation where the Antichrist enters the temple and proclaims himself to be God. There are a number of ripe candidates on the stage right now. I've already mentioned some of them. Only God knows for sure. A lot of interesting things going on. How many of you have heard of the uh, robotic mosquitoes, insects, that, that are flying around, watching people? Do you know what else they can do? They can actually inject you with a vaccine. No, I'm serious. Or a virus. <laughs> the technology that's developing all around us and behind closed doors is absolutely mind-boggling. But it's all pointing to exactly what the Bible says will happen. We saw those 200,000 scorpion-like creatures a few chapters back. Anyway, so knowing this time is short, he now unleashes all his fury through the Antichrist on the Jewish people. Verse 14, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Now this wings of a great eagle, if you were John living 2,000 years ago, they didn't have airplanes yet, right? And you saw a massive airplane carrying people, it would like the, look like the wings of an eagle, wouldn't it? So this is probably a massive airdrop, airlift, to rescue them from the attack of the Antichrist. Now, interestingly, most people that I have talked to and read, read and so forth, everyone says, well, we think the U.S. is going to be destroyed early on because there's really nothing in the Bible about the United States. Well, that's kind of a somewhat presumptuous approach, I would say. Interestingly, the eagle is the symbol of what country? United States. 
Now, I don't know if the U.S. will still be around as a national entity or some entity of some kind at this time, halfway through the tribulation. But it is interesting that it is characterized as the wings of an eagle. Anyway, more than likely, some type of aircraft. That she might fly, and there again, into the wilderness to her place. This place would be the rock city or fortress of Petra, located in Jordan. Matthew 13, 14, Jesus says, So when you see the abomination of desolation, now, a lot of preterists, those who believe all prophecies already been fulfilled, say that the abomination of desolation was when Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed a pig on the altar in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem around, what was it, 160 AD? Uh, B.C., I would rather, B.C. Remember the Maccabees and all that? Well, if it already happened, then why is Jesus speaking of it as a future event? Huh? Why would he even bring it up? He says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So Jesus is speaking specifically of this time we're studying in Revelation 12, this future time, halfway through the tribulation, when the Antichrist will unleash one final holocaust on the Jewish people, and they will be carried to safety on the wings of of a great eagle, an airplane of some time, some type of aircraft, maybe large helicopters. And he's telling specifically, let those who are in Judea, in that region around Jerusalem where the temple will be rebuilt, to flee to the mountains, to the rock fortress of Petra in Jordan. Now, there's a website called Rapture Ready. There's a guy that wrote an article, a brief article about Petra on there, Ray Brubaker. He says, Petra is located 180 miles south of Amman in Jordan. Remember the ancient people called the Ammonites? The, uh, the descendants of Ben-Ami, one of the grandsons of Lot? Amman, Jordan. This is where the Ammonites originated. Petra is located 180 miles south of Amman in Jordan. It is a city believed carved from sandstone rock more than 2,000 years ago. What makes this city so unique is that it remains hidden. Its main entrance being a narrow cleft in the rock called the Seek. The Seek is actually 6,000 feet long as the crow flies and from 12 to 20 feet wide at its narrowest points. So it's over a mile long and from 12 to 20 feet wide. The sides or walls are stupendous. The towering cliffs so high they make man look small in comparison. This narrow approach made this ancient city nigh impregnable from attack. And it remained largely hidden until 1812 when an explorer by the name of John Lewis Burkhart, disguised as a Bedouin sheik, discovered Petra anew. He induced his Arab guides to show him this long-lost city by expressing a desire to sacrifice a goat in the traditional tomb of Aaron, brother of Moses. The question comes to mind, could this have been built by giants? Now, if you've been around here any length of time at all, you know we've studied about the giants in the land of Canaan. At the time of the Israelites came to take possession of the land, remember they brought back the report, were like grasshoppers in their sight, going all the way back to the pre-flood days and the, the giants. Goliath was a giant. He was from a family of giants. And there have been many, many archaeological discoveries all over the world of giant skeletons. 
That's another thing that, uh, for the most part, is covered up and hidden because it confirms the biblical account. The question comes to mind, could this have been built by giants? Dr. Lewis Talbot, in his book, I Saw Petra, notes, all the doors were about 26 feet in height, which has led many people to believe that they were carved by a race of giants. Now, with all the genetic engineering going on, the artificial intelligence, CRISPR-9 technology, gene splicing, DNA modification, do we all know about this stuff? It's really going on. Do your homework. It's real. And many countries working on what they would like to call super soldiers. Do you suppose there might be some interest in bringing back giants? Could well be. Could well be. I began to believe quite a number of years ago that most of the ancient mythology, with that which we call mythology today, has its roots in reality. All right, verse 15. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. Now, you know, there's a thing called typology, biblical typology, that certain things represent certain other things. In biblical typology, a flood is often, in the Old Testament, symbolic of a military horde sweeping in to capture and destroy. So here when it says the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood, this is probably talking about a large military onslaught pursuing these fleeing Jewish people who are fleeing from the wrath of the Antichrist. Isaiah 59, 19 so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun when the enemy comes in like a what? A flood. When the enemy comes like a flood, so it's not only military, it's also spiritual warfare. When the enemy comes in like a flood, just like he's doing here in Revelation 12, 15. The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. We sing that song, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. That's another one we ought not forget. When the enemy comes in like a flood, do you ever feel that way? Like he's coming in like a flood? I know I've felt that way more than once. We need to be reminded the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Amen? That he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Verse 16, but the earth helped the woman... And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Wow. Sounds like possibly an earthquake that swallows up the vast army pursuing the Jews as they flee. Gee, what does that remind you of? Pharaoh's army pursuing Moses and the children of Israel? Kind of in reverse. Instead of an earthquake opening up and swallowing them, the Red Sea parted for Moses and the people of Israel. And then once they had crossed... And Pharaoh's army came in pursuit. We know what happened, right? You do know that archaeologically they've actually found the chariots and so forth underneath the Red Sea, buried there. For those who scoffed and mocked the stories in the Bible. Verse 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman because he didn't succeed in destroying her. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So his failure to take out the Jews completely 
just fuels the fire of his rage. And so who does he go after? The rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The rest of her offspring, by the way, we've talked about this a lot too, we are now part of Israel. We're grafted in. We have not replaced Israel. We do not believe in what they call replacement theology here. Nobody can ever replace God's chosen people. They're the apple of his eye. But we've been grafted in, so spiritually speaking, we are Israel. The rest of her offspring, spiritual Israel, are the Christians who've come to faith in the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. The Antichrist will follow his assault on the Jews with a fresh assault of persecution against the remaining living Christians on the earth. We talked about this last week at the end of the tribulation, the separation of the sheep and the goats. The sheep, the surviving mortal Christians on the earth at the end of the tribulation who will be welcomed into Christ's millennial kingdom. The goats, the unbelieving, the wicked, cast out. And so there will be a remnant upon the earth. We know that many, if not most, who embrace Christ during the tribulation will be martyred. Some will survive. The Antichrist, who is actually personally empowered and and dwelt by Satan when he fails to completely eradicate the Jews. It's going to make him so mad he's going to unleash a fresh attack against any remaining Christians that he can find. So it's really a good idea whether you're here this morning or watching on the internet. be a great day to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior so that you won't be here for this stuff. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you so much for your scriptures, your holy scriptures. They're powerful. They're dynamic. They're life-changing, life-transforming. In fact, you said we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and that happens, Father, as we study the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament. We are transformed, and we thank you for that. We praise you for that. And Father, we do pray for anyone this morning, either here in the sanctuary or watching online, that has not yet made a firm, solid commitment to Jesus Christ to become one of his children, one of his followers, one of his disciples, to receive the forgiveness of their sins through the shed blood of Christ, to be born again by the Spirit of God, and to make a commitment to follow you for the rest of their days. Lord, we pray that you would enable them. Lord, we pray so often, Father, for the gift of faith and the gift of repentance. We pray that even now for anyone who is uncertain about their relationship with you. And I want to ask for a show of hands if you need prayer this morning. Anyone here? Raise your hand. We'd like to pray for you or someone near and dear to you. Some issue, some situation you're dealing with at work, at home, wherever it might be. Father, we lift up all these raising their hands. We know some, Father, have health issues. And we thank you that you are the great physician. Lord, we don't always understand your ways. And again, we talked about the fact that you allow things into our lives to teach us, to grow us, to strengthen us, to mature us, even to guide and direct us in certain ways. So I lift each one with health issues and pray for healing, for strength. Lord, whether it would be supernaturally or through medical means, Lord, we know you work in many different ways and we're willing to receive healing from you any way that you choose to give it to us. But Father, we lift up those with eye issues today, those with uh, heart issues, those with cancer, Lord, diabetes. There are so many afflictions that have come upon the human race as a result of sin. 
We pray for relief and release, for health, for strength. We also pray for wisdom and guidance for those seeking that this morning. Lord, you did promise that if any man lacks wisdom, that we can ask you, and you will give it to us without upbraiding us, without finding fault with us for asking. Lord, you just want us to ask, and you promised that you would give us wisdom. We pray for that. Pray for healing of relationships, broken relationships, strained or damaged relationships. Lord, help us to be peacemakers. Help us to be the first ones to reach out to be those who are instruments of your reconciliation. So, Lord, for health, for wisdom, for guidance, for reconciliation. Lord, for deliverance from things that become bondages in our lives. Lord, anger, hatred, resentment, bitterness, jealousy. Lord, please remove these things from us and help us to walk uprightly before you. We pray for the infilling of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Encouragement today for all those that are discouraged. Uh, strength and renewal for those who are weary and worn down. Thank you, God, that no matter what we need, you have it, and we receive it now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen.